0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. ram slash easy. cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick.
1: And I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the Pinstripes Are in Fashion in Milan Sports Business Podcast, the Sportacast.
2: With all due respect, Novi Williams, with your whatever baseball hat that, that is that you're wearing right now, <laughs> your uh, maybe a little bit too small gray t shirt, uh, what, what do you know about? And, and by the way, I, I am fully cognizant that this is pot calling kettle. I got, I, I got that. What do you know about fashion?
1: I come from, I, my mother is a uh, fashion designer. I know. So,
2: and my mother is really into it. fashion too, but, <laughs> but what is that? it doesn't mean you know anything about it. Doesn't
1: have it doesn't filter its way into how I dress, but.
2: I, I told you my wife's terminology for my haberdashery is homeless yeah. chic. Yeah. yeah. It has so, chic in it. That's better than not having chic. I'll take it. I, I, I could have. It certainly could have been straight up worse than that. I, I'll take it. But yes, we are talking about Milan because the soccer team, AC Milan, was sold, complete transfer to Redbird Capital. And the interesting late news that we found out not long ago is that one of the investors... Uh, alongside a minority stake alongside Redbird, Uh, a little outfit you may have heard of. Speaking of fashion, that if now if they're going to wear suits, I think they would have to be, you want to fill in the blank? What kind of suit do they have to wear?
1: Pinstripe suits.
2: Pinstripe suit, exactly. So why don't you explain for those who, do, who haven't picked up on what we're talking about. <laughs> right.
1: the, the New York Yankees coming in on the uh, AC Milan acquisition. Redbird Capital buying uh, the, the, the big bulk of it here. Redbird is an investor in, in the Yes Network. So already a, a business relationship between Yes Network and the Yankees, that is, or between Redbird Capital and the Yankees, that is going to continue in Milan. Uh, $1.3 billion Deal, Scott. We had Randy Levine, who, who runs the Yankees on the podcast a few months ago. He gave us kind of a detailed explanation of the way the Yankees think about investments. Some of those investments are very much germane to the business of the Yankees. Um, NYCFC, there's the pinstripe bowl, which happens at, at Yankee Stadium, there's Legends Hospitality, and then there's ones that are a little bit further afield. There, there's clear there, there. There's a company, a Korean lighting company that he mentioned that they were invested in. I'm curious how you think of AC Milan, a, a, a Syria, uh, one of the biggest soccer teams in Italy, where you see the synergies, if there are any with the Yankees and, and whether you think this is just an investment that that maybe helps the Yankees grow its business moving forward.
2: And by the way, we should say the Yankees, by the way, were one of the original investors in Redbird as well. So, so the relationship between Jerry Cardinal and Randy Levine and the Steinbrenner family goes way back. And I do chuckle. I believe there are, if you listen to those who will tell you as such, there are about 1,000 people who created the Yes Network. Right? I think there's about 1,000. In reality, there's a lot less than that. Al Gore. Fewer than that. Yeah. I think when Jerry Cardinal says, you know, I was one of those who helped create the Yes Network, that's a truthism. Like he, that's not, that's not one of these embellishments, but there are about a thousand people who we tell you that they actually did it. I view this to answer your question. I view this as what can the Yankees bring? There's, I think there's two reasons why this happened. One, Elliott management, which owned the club is providing a loan to Redbird. What was it? Seven, $800 million, like 7%. That's according to the financial times. Great reporting, great work on that by our friend, Sarah Germano and the others. Um, so the, the Yankees were, or I'm sorry, Redbird was looking to syndicate that loan down and you know spread that around a little bit. Okay. There's one reason we want to bring in some people to, to cut, to cut our, our nut on this loan. Okay. These are people we've done business with before. Now, as we always talk about, Edmund, what are the synergistic possibilities? Why? Right? It's not anybody could just cut a check if they saw the opportunity to cut a check. What do I get in the New York Yankees? Expertise, global brand. Uh, promotion, um, exp- uh, every, everything else that you could want in pro sports on a global basis. They can help AC Milan stadium operations. They can help with marketing. So I think what you're going to see is much like we see with uh, with N- uh, Man City, you're going to see games on the Yes Network. You're going to see AC Milan friendlies at Yankee Stadium. Years ago, and I, I mean, shame on me for not remembering the details of this. You may be too young to remember that the Yankees had this tangential alignment with Manchester United. I mean, it was real. And as far as I could tell what it really boiled down to walking around the, the halls of the old Yankee Stadium, a- as far as I could tell, it really amounted to five jerseys hanging in the Yankee shop. And like if anybody wants this, okay. It really wasn't much more than that. But I could see Jerry Cardinal leaning on the Yankees for global know-how, sales, marketing. And what did the Yankees just do that we know Jerry Cardinal is about to embark on? Build a new stadium. So there will be also what am I looking at? What are the pitfalls? What were the mistakes? Uh, boy, as you and I have heard many times, getting a new stadium in Europe, Italy in particular, not all that easy. That's for right? sure. But clearly that is one of the things that, that Jerry is looking at. And it's also one of the things we say all the time, that prospective owners of these teams these days, particularly those with big global brands, they don't want turnkey. They want opportunity in real estate, in media, And we know Jerry's going to try and squeeze some Syria revenue for AC Milan. Like it's, again, it's there's Inter and there's AC Milan. Those are the dominant global brands. You've got Roma, a few others. But AC AC Milan is a recognizable global brand. There's haves and there have nots. And he's going to see how much he can squeeze out of that.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's going to look, I think, in some ways, kind of like what the the business relationship between the Red Sox and Liverpool is, right? You mentioned AC Milan playing games at Yankee Stadium, Liverpool plays uh, fairly often uh, in, in Fenway. Like, there's a there's a there's a correlation there, obviously, because they're owned by the same group by Fenway by Fenway Sports that that, that allows that to happen. I agree. I think you're going to see more of that uh, from. Uh, f- from the Yankees and from AC Milan. Uh, and also, you know, it's a potential for maybe just to grow your money, right? The, the, this is a team that is significantly cheaper than what Chelsea just sold for, um, obviously in, in different leagues and maybe in different positions in the, in the global soccer universe. But AC Milan, as you said, is, is one of the premier clubs in Italy. Italy is one of the premier leagues in, in European and global football um, I'm sure the, the Yankees are seeing this as an opportunity, also just to make some money. Um, and, and let's not forget, because I, I was looking, listening back to the Randy Levine podcast, the Yankees have have dabbled in a lot of sports ownership. They, they were the original owner. They owned the Nets for a while. They were they owned a third of the Devils before before they sold that stake. They obviously have a stake in NYCFC, as we've mentioned. Um, it is not new territory right now for the people who own the New York Yankees to also have equity positions in other global franchises.
2: I can tell you this too. I can tell you the Steinbrenners for years have been courted as prospective owners of a big time soccer team, whether it be Liverpool or some of the others. And they have said, no, thank you. They have their hands full building and trying to win and making money with the New York Yankees. So they weren't interested in that. But this LP stake and a chance to flex some muscle that that does interest them you brought up liverpool and the synergies with fenway sports group there's a big name that is now involved in both that you didn't really connect the dots yet you know who is one of the backers of main street advisors also an investor now in ac milan LeBron James.
1: Hmm. Okay,
2: Le- LeBron is one of the backers in Main Street. So through and, and that Red investment, an
1: investor in Fenway as well. Correct in
2: Fenway as well. So <laughs> they they are also oh, the involved with thing. that. Now LeBron has not only Liverpool, but I see him. I don't know what kind of wine LeBron prefers—Italian, French, or you know California—but I do know I have seen on many occasions on his social media that LeBron does enjoy the vino. And uh, if it's Italian, well, maybe he just bought himself uh, a chance to uh, maybe get some freebie good bottles.
1: Before we move on on this topic, Scott, we should also talk about Elliott Management, US-based private equity firm. Seems like a pretty great uh, last five years in AC Milan for them. They were a lender for for the Chinese investor that that bought AC Milan back in 2017, I think. Um, They defaulted on that loan and Elliott Management essentially acquired the club for a pretty steep discount. And then turn around just a few years later, selling the team to Redbird Capital and, and the Yankees and, and Main Street for $1.3 billion and also financing part of that acquisition uh, for, for a, as you said, $700 million loan that, according to the Financial Times, has a 7% interest rate. It seems like this has worked out um, very well in the aggregate, uh, even if you take the losses that they've probably incurred and in holding this team for the past few years, probably works out very well financially for Elliott management.
2: You buy or sell on the whole Redbird acquisition then. I mean, I, I am, I'm a huge believer in dominant global brands. I don't think from a media and I'm going heavy. Yes. There's a real estate component here. That stadium, if you can get a new stadium and, and, uh, make that into a cash register, much like I call Yankee stadium or AT&T in Dallas. Uh, but also uh, global aspirations. So real estate, media, global aspirations. I don't think the popularity of soccer is going anywhere. And you infuse a little capital into improving the on-field results of AC Milan. And I think people around the world are going to take notice and uh, somehow touch and engage with that brand.
1: And you know where I stand on, on the Super League. I, I just believe it's a matter of time until It'll happen, European yeah. clubs maybe try some version of that. Again, you ask some of these clubs, they say it never died. Um, but you would certainly imagine that if there is a collection of the top few clubs from a handful of countries around Europe for some sort of, of Super League in the future, AC Milan will almost certainly be a part of the contingent that comes out of Italy. So I imagine you're not investing in this club thinking that's definitely going to happen, but there's certainly a possibility that in let's say five years, the structure of European soccer looks very different and that that could be very beneficial for clubs that have the stature of AC Milan.
2: That is true. And you know who else has pretty good stature and you and I didn't discuss this ahead of time, but we should talk about it anyway. Uh, As we record Serena Williams will be hitting the tennis court tonight in what could be her final match.
1: I'm going to uh, be there, at, Scott.
2: At, oh, you're going tonight?
1: I'm going tonight, yeah. Good for you. I'm excited. Right. Yeah, it's, it's rare for a sporting event to actually, for me to actually be excited about a sporting event that I'm attending. Um, but I, yeah, I'm kind of excited to see what, what very well could be her final competitive singles match.
2: See, now, I call me nuts, but the prospect of just, okay, seeing her last match doesn't excite me all that much. I saw Serena in her prime play Venus. And I really don't remember some others in the finals, but I've seen certain, if, if I see an athlete, like, do I want to see, um, uh, who, who's kind of, do I want to see Albert Pujols? Like, Oh, this is his last game on his last legs. Or do I want to see Albert pool in his prime when he's cranking home runs every day, which he's yeah, kind of so now it's anyway. It's a good
1: point. The, the way I'm thinking about it is that the, I'm thinking less about the, the quality of the tennis and more about just the atmosphere. Right? The, her first match on Monday night, the, the crowd was bonkers. There's celebrities all over. It's a scene. The U.S. Open is always a scene. It's but always it been about the scene.
2: It's always being when seen. When Serena yes. is
1: playing, it is going to be the sceniest of scenes for Wednesday night when when Serena plays. Uh, so that's the thing I think I'm excited about. It's less about the actual tennis and okay, more about just, just the, 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 the environment. Around that match because it's going to be, I would imagine, one of the the loudest that 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 Arthur Ashe Stadium has been for a non finals match, or maybe even including finals matches in a really long time.
2: Well, I, I revealed myself when I said, you know, I root for whoever wins the first set. So I kind of revealed myself and how I feel about the need to be <laughs> two a.m. on Arthur Ashe Stadium on a on a weekday night. My, my bad, but I am excited to see Serena moving forward. You know, a champion tennis player to sort of venture capitalist i I mean this is going to be an interesting transition she of course has been doing this for some time serena ventures is focused on women and minorities so it's sort of sort of a cause uh also associated here with what serena is trying to do i'm excited of course um she's gotten some great returns already no pun intended on the court off the court um I'm I'm really excited to see like part 2 of this uh, athlete career where is it possible that she is that she eclipses what she's done on the court and that's a whole lot of major championships and dominant global player I get it but to take that as the springboard to even greater heights as a venture capitalist and what she can accomplish for other people with that
1: and the sport should def- will definitely help her in this. If you look at Q score ratings or, or anybody that judges fame of athletes when they're playing and then when they're done playing, tennis players and golfers tend to have the longest post-playing career tail. And I think it's because in team sports, if you're a fan of the 49ers, your quarterback retires and there's a new quarterback of the 49ers and you move on. Uh, it's not quite that cut and dry in individual sports, but it, it's certainly true that that athletes, tennis players, and golfers, when they're done in, in the main competitive part of their of their career, remain a part of kind of the public ethos and and remain a part of of celebrity culture in a way that oftentimes athletes in other sports don't. And that should definitely help her. Uh, but you're right, Scott. She, she's she's already investor in the in the Miami Dolphins. Uh, there's a lot that she's accomplished already, all while being uh, one of the dominant uh, tennis players in the world. And that obviously takes a lot of time as well. So if she's serious about taking all of the attention and time that she was spending on her tennis and, and, and giving some to that uh, to her family and some of that to, to the venture capital career, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that she's going to be just as successful in that as, as she has been on the court.
2: Well, let's not forget there's overlap in the two things in, in family and venture capital. She's married to Alexis Ohanian, you know, founder of Reddit. So you know there is some overlap where they can do it together or at least bounce ideas off each other. And is that that's a that's a pretty big. um, I think like Washington Magazine always has like their power couples of Washington. Hmm. If you had sort of your your finance and sport power couples, can you think of anybody who would would reign supreme or uh, above those two? I'm trying. I know I'm putting you on the spot. We haven't really, but that that's pretty darn good right there. Yeah, Alexis and Serena's are pretty darn. No more like, Garcia
1: Parra and Mia Ham. Probably certainly not no, as No, That, doesn't, as these that two. doesn't
2: compare. I'm sorry, yeah. that doesn't compare. Yeah, no offense, to- but that does not compare. Anyway, um, one of those folks you talked about who, who you mentioned golfers and tennis players, Greg Norman. This does not seem to be going away every <laughs> week. Not that I thought it would, but every week there's another player going from PGA tour to Liv. There's more court battles. Liv has now joined. The lawsuit, our Mike McCann, says that is significant. Uh, boy, do you see the flow of players stopping? I, I know I he, Tiger Woods addressed the players. Rory McIlroy took home a ton of money in the final, you know, in the final week and, and for, the, for the whole season. And he's talking about having to like what, check his stomach or whatever he said about sharing the course with players who have defected to live. Uh, one of the players, I don't remember who it was, excuse me, but one of the players put out on Instagram... A statement after joining Live, where he says, "I did it for the money. I'm not going to dance. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not going to dance around it. It's like this is the opportunity. I came from very from very meager means. This is the opportunity for to set up my not only my family now, but next generation for life and for security. And I I I can't pass that up. Yeah, uh, the money was a big part of it. So uh, I I just don't see the the indignance of a Rory McIlroy having much effect." on the other players who don't make as much money as he does and did and will and decide to go another way.
1: And, and to be clear, the, the last 12 months have really worked out fin- financially really well for Rory. Yeah, and Rory's going to make a lot of money. Ahmad Nassar, who was on the show earlier this week, I think he said this very well. This is a tough time right now for the, for the PGA Tour. Absolutely live golf is going to lose a lot of money if they ever get profitable who knows but one thing that is definitely true is that if you are a player if you're a professional golfer your earning potential is significantly bigger right now at the end of august 2022 than it was in january of 2022 Uh, now there's concerns about The fracturing of the sport, the infighting, the lawsuits, I understand all of that. But just from a financial standpoint, if you are a professional golfer, things are financially so much better than they were before Live Golf came around. It makes me think, Scott, about Phil Mickelson a little bit, who's who's the lead plaintiff, I believe, in this antitrust lawsuit. But the the quotation that got him in so much trouble earlier this year, the, the one about how scary the Saudis were. The back end of that quotation, if you remember, and I, I wrote it down here, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. I he would should, argue have, he would, should have stuck with that absolutely statement. Absolutely right on that. Looking back, the the PGA Tour has added uh, higher purses at a lot of its events. It's raised a guaranteed salary. It's sharing more money with players in, in, in the PIP oh, bonus. Yeah, clearly, yeah.
2: there were levers the PGA could have pulled or pushed to put more of the revenue in the pockets of the players. Uh, That did not happen. The only reason it happened was this existential threat competitor, live golf. I think we now can agree like that is a true statement.
1: Yeah. So for, for Rory who just won the FedEx cup and and made more, more money on the course in a single year than any, any golfer ever has, this has worked out really well for him financially. He's a partner in, in, the, in the Monday night golf league with Tiger Woods and, and, and that new venture. Um, it, it's worked out well for the guys who've stayed on the PGA Tour, and it's worked out pretty well financially for, for a lot of the guys who, who've left to join the Live Tour as well. So, so it depends on, I think, the angle you're looking at. Uh, in regards to the lawsuit, the antitrust suit that, that Live uh, just joined, uh, yeah, I would recommend people read Michael McCann's story. It's I, I don't know enough about the legal stuff to actually have an opinion on how sound or how unsound that, that whole argument is. But they are essentially live and, and these golfers are accusing the PGA Tour of being a monopsony. Um, by essentially controlling and, and utilizing its heft to control the economics for professional golfers. No I'm idea how well that's it. going to go over, but, but I yeah. do think it's an interesting one and, and one that will certainly consume the sport for at least the next few months.
2: Well, here's the line, I think, from Mike's story that I think people, from, from a, uh, an overarching look from the macro, it just says, the Saudi-backed league recently joined the high-profile antitrust case headlined by Phil Mickelson. And here's the part you have to pay attention to. And Liv's addition comes with advantages and risks for the plaintiffs. And he goes on to list what they are. Of course, now, one, you're, you're opening yourself up to discovery, right? So that, that is certainly one of the risks. But if you're really interested in this, and it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest sports business story of the last year and maybe moving ahead. I do recommend that you, you read everything Mike McCann puts out because, I mean, how many years ago was it when you and I first started this program? Do you remember when you asked me one time, well, what do you think about something? And I said, I'll let you know what I think after I read Mike McCann.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: And that was before we worked with Mike. That was just me as a fan, as an outsider. That was when where, we called him all
1: the time to get his opinion. For yeah, yeah, called him all I mean,
2: <laughs> Why wouldn't you have a resource like that brain? Why wouldn't you? Like, hey, help me. Help me distill this quickly and simply because that is Mike's gift. Mike can make these incredibly difficult cases very plain and easy to understand. And that, it's not like everybody can do that, but he certainly does. So... Kudos to him. I would read it. You know what else is easy to understand? If you're an NBA fan and you want to see your out-of-market teams and you like NBA League Pass, you're going to be paying a lot less money this year. That is very easy to understand. And I think the reasoning behind it, as uncovered by our Jacob Feldman, really interesting. Really interesting as the world changes to streaming.
1: I'm fascinated by this
2: because there's... It's pricing. uh, You know I'm so cool. I love pricing. It's the psychology
1: of pricing. So if you paid $230 last year for the standard NBA League Pass package it's now down to $100 for this upcoming season a 56% price drop. Uh, it, it, there there's some trends here that 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 make sense to me here Scott and then there's opposites there's ESPN is obviously raising the cost of its ESPN Plus Digital subscription, there's a lot of companies that, that started really low. And yeah, are yeah, yeah. Hold tire. on,
2: hold on, hold on. Yep. That's true. They're raising the cost of ESPN Plus as a standalone streaming service yep. because, and, and I'm of course, they have not said this to me, but it seems pretty obvious, as an incentive to take their bundle of Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus. Sure. Why pay 75% of the total cost just for the one when you can get the bundle?
1: That may be true. It's not getting cheaper, <laughs> and they're certainly not dropping the price fifty six percent as not. they continue to. And, and and that's the other thing. The, the ESPN is continually acquiring new rights. They're spending more money to make the ESPN Plus package more vibrant. That is not true necessarily of, of League Pass. It's not like the NBA is acquiring new content that you continue with the League Pass. But there has certainly been, I, I've noticed it in, in, in our corner of the world, Scott, just in the media, there, there seems to be more and more scrutiny now as to how expensive this new potential future of streaming first uh, Dare I say, is. you and you can you can tell you were there, you
2: witnessed it from day one, Ebenobie yep. Williams, where I said, I said this is there is no way that this doesn't get so fragmented that one, it's going to drive me crazy. I cannot keep track of like ten streaming services I'm going to need, and when you add it up, and, and I, I do not get paid by any of the old guard cable companies, (laughs) but I said from day one, the diversity of programming for what my family wants to see. If if it was just me, I get it, but there there is a diversity of thought in this house. Somebody wants to watch HGTV. Somebody wants to watch YouTube TV, my son. Uh, Somebody wants to watch Law & Order reruns. That's me when I'm tired. So, I mean, for what I get and my broadband into my house... The price for that and the cable bundle for me seems like a damn good value than me aggregating all of these services that have maybe one or two shows on each that I would like to see. And I can't even keep track of what the promotions are. And if I sign up for A, I get B. I can't even keep track of it. So um, I, I figure out when I can watch it and how I can watch it if it's that important to me. Um, like, you know, my wife wanted the Game of Thrones, whatever the new one is, like season two, whatever the heck it was. She wanted that. All right, whatever. We fire up the old fire stick and whatever it is, you can... As a Prime subscriber, I got it. So I'm like, okay, here's HBO Max. Good. You can watch that. But to do it on a consistent basis... like If I'm a soccer fan, MLS is great Like now because I know where to get it. It's going to be Apple. Great. I know where... If you're a global soccer fan and you're trying to watch, like, you're really, I mean, a real good hardcore luck. global soccer fan, good luck, good luck yeah. figuring out where the games are, on which platform, at which, I can't even do, I mean, I look at the charts and I get dizzy.
1: And going back to the NBA for a second, for a while, it, it, there was not an easy way for you to compare the cost of your league pass to all of your other content, right? If you were, if you had a cable subscription and, and your cable subscription was, let's just say, $1,200 a year. Uh, the idea of paying $200 a year for the NBA, it's hard to kind of find that comparison. Now, when almost everything you're paying is a la carte, you can look at it and say, oh, my ESPN Plus is six ninety nine dollars a month. I'm paying this for this. Do I want to be paying $20 a month for NBA League Pass? You get the direct comparison now because everything's a la carte. I do wonder if a lot of these services that were early on the digital, which... NBA League Pass and and most of these leagues, their digital offerings were kind of early on this. Well, let's give it digital. credit, by
2: the way, because we've heard yep. so much in the past few years about direct-to-consumer, right? We've heard mm-hmm. so much about... Yeah, I mean, uh, people at the NBA, people like Adam Silver, who grew up under David, they're like, uh, folks, like... League Pass has been around <laughs> been a doing very this for a long week. time. Like This yeah. might have been the first direct-to-consumer. This ain't new. We've been doing this for a while.
1: Exactly. And I do think that now that there's so much other things, the, the, the pricing becomes in stark relief. I do wonder if other leagues are going to follow this, particularly the NHL, and the NHL and baseball, to. if they're going to follow by cutting their prices as well.
2: Well, like the NHL is now on ESPN Plus, right? You can watch almost all the games on ESPN Plus. So yeah, there's so your, NHL yeah, or, or put it yeah. as part of your deal with, right, One of make, make people choose one of those that I refuse to. But anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway he is Eben Novi williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick. Our producers, Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sporticast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportical Media Network.